You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have here in the United States. This is episode 153 of American Sex Podcast. I am Sunny Megatron. My co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg, who you'll be hearing from in just a few minutes. We're both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and we are kinky perverts too. Also, we happen to be married to each other and we're non-monogamous, which ties into this episode because this week we are talking non-monogamy and polyamory and also other alternative lifestyles and how they relate to therapy with Dr. Liz Powell and Kevin Patterson. They've both appeared on American Sex numerous times, both together and separately, But if you're not familiar with this dynamic duo, Dr. Liz is a coach and licensed psychologist helping couples and singles develop self-confidence and authenticity in their relationships, whether those relationships are conventional or non-traditional. They have been covered in countless media outlets and spoken on many stages. Their new book, Building Open Relationships is the newest way they're spreading the great sex word. Kevin Patterson is an active member of the Philadelphia polyamory community and the founder of Poly Role Models, an interview series for people describing their experiences with polyamory. He's also the author of the book, Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. Also, along with co-writer Alana Phelan, Kevin also launched a sci-fi novel series for hire that centers characters of color as well as other marginalized identities. So this is a great conversation for people in any type of alternative lifestyle that are having a hard time finding therapists, doctors, and other healthcare professionals that truly understand their lifestyle. You know, finding a therapist is especially hard right now with the pandemic, putting a strain on the industry, but it's even harder for non-monogamous and kinky folks. It's not uncommon to, you know, do all the legwork, finding a therapist, which, you know, on the surface, they seem like a good fit. And then when you're in session with them, they suggest perhaps the reason you're having a hard time is because you're kinky or because you're non-monogamous. Dr. Liz and Kevin walk us through not only finding a therapist or coach that is well-equipped to understand the complexities of your lifestyle, but also how to be a therapist or coach that understands the complexity of these lifestyles. Also, if you are a clinician and you're listening Kevin and Dr. Liz have just released a certification program for therapists and healthcare providers and coaches working with non-monogamous clients. It's called Unfuck Your Polyamory Pro, and I'll have the link to that in my show notes. Now, for those looking to acquire continuing education units, the next intensive, which is the weekend of February 20th, offers 12 continuing education units, which is awesome. And of course, there's going to be other intensives, classes, and programs throughout the rest of the year too. Lastly, if you're in a polyamorous relationship and you're looking for guidance, Dr. Liz and Kevin also offer classes for individuals navigating their own polyamorous relationships. So before we get to that conversation, of course, we got to wash the balls, aka do our housekeeping. So first, do you know what time it is? It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. I want to give a big, huge welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Tony, Sugar Sweet Artist, Jason, Slut Puppy, and Roxy for becoming American Sex Podcast Patreon members this past week. You too can become an American Sex Patreon member at 
patreon.com slash American sex. And you're gonna get stuff too. You'll get bonus stories from our guests. There's bonus stories from Kevin and Dr. Liz up right now. So go listen. Also extra full length episodes. Every one of our episodes early. I'll send you American podcast stickers in the mail. You'll get a shout out like these folks did right on the podcast and other random surprises too, like hangouts and, and cool stuff. Ken and I give almost all of our content away for free, which is a lot more than this podcast. And we do it happily because we believe these conversations are critical. They are important. They improve relationships. They change lives. Sometimes they even save lives. And we believe that everybody should have equal access to them, no matter their financial situation. So by supporting us, you allow our content to remain free for everybody. So again, that address is patreon.com slash American sex. Another thing, if you really dig these conversations here that we have on American Sex Podcast and you want to have more of them, join our Discord community. It's absolutely free. Go on over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Discord A-S-P for American Sex Podcast. And by the way, if any of the links that we talk about in this episode go by too fast and you can't write them down, don't worry. Just go to the show notes for this episode 153 at americansexpodcast.com and all of the links we talk about will be right there. One last thing. I'm teaching a class really soon, and I would love for you to be there. Hot and healthy erotic humiliation. I'm teaching on behalf of Sanctuary LAX on February 24th, 2021. And if you're like, oops, I'm going to fast forward. This humiliation is not my thing. I mean, you know, who likes that kind of stuff that's so cruel? Who would want to be called hurtful names? That is not sexy. Nope. I invite you to to wait a minute. Hold on. I want to tell you something. That hardcore stuff is only one of many types of erotic humiliation. So humiliation play, it can take on so many different flavors. It can be sensual. It can be hilarious and have you belly laughing. And it can be an emotionally positive experience too. So this online class, again, is on February 24th. I'm going to be teaching you how to find the type of humiliation play that best suits you, and I don't want you to miss it, so please join us. All right, that's it. These balls are clean, my American fuckers. Here is Dr. Liz Powell and Kevin Patterson. This is going to be a good conversation, American fuckers, because we have back with us Dr. Liz and Kevin Patterson. Hi, how are you both? Oh, you know, pandemic times. <laughs> right? <laughs> Basically, I'm doing about as good as I can be during the apocalypse. Well, you know, that's something. That is something. If, this you know. is the shittiest timeline ever because it's apocalypse that's like death by a thousand paper cuts. It's the it worst, really slowest moving apocalypse ever. It, yeah. It's just yeah. slow and oppressive and deeply depressing and just all the worst things. Yeah, this Black Mirror yeah. episode really sucks. Right? Oh, totally it does. So watch this. Watch. I am such a pro. I'm going to bring this around to our topic. So a lot of people are at home. <laughs> watch. It's going to be magic. A lot of people are at home over quarantine. And we're really realizing, like, here's the shit that's fucked up in my life. I'm going to start addressing it. Like, the pandemic has really put a... Uh, what is that a magnifying glass over what we really want in life and then what we want to discard. So a lot of people are like, it's time to sign up for therapy. I'm going to go therapy. See how I'm bringing this around. Um, <laughs> and those people who are sex positive people who are maybe polyamorous or in some kind of alternative sexuality configuration kind of sometimes have some problems when they pick a therapist because yeah. maybe the therapist isn't quite as sex positive as we wanted so that's where we are don't you love how i did that ken ken's just looking at me like beautiful sunny that was beautifully yeah. done it was a master stroke that was a work yes. of art you are a bard <laughs> level one 
So, okay, we, we've we heard, those of us who are in sex-positive communities have probably heard people say, like, well, duh, you just have to find a sex-positive therapist. And that's a lot easier said than done. So Especially let's... Especially right now. Uh, yes, yes. Like, right now, uh, as a therapist myself and someone who sees a therapist, uh, every therapist I know, uh, I'm in Portland, Oregon, uh, every therapist I know is talking about how hard it is for people to find therapists right now because we're all booked. Uh, oh. The thing about being in a giant global tra- global trauma that is ongoing is that everybody wants therapy, and the therapists are also in a giant ongoing global trauma, so we have less capacity than we used to because we're oh. also suffering. So we can't see as many people as we used to be able to. There are fewer people going through training and able to start seeing new folks, and... Everybody wants therapy at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So really, I just kind of guessed, like, anecdotally, just from what I've been hearing, like, I can imagine more people are going to therapy. But are, are you, as a therapist, are you really seeing, like, this huge influx of people yes. going either back to therapy or therapy the, for the first time? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it is it is huge right now. Uh, there are so many folks that are reaching out trying to find therapists, and there are so few therapists who have openings. Um, and it's... And again, you know, the thing about being a therapist is that your job is to make a space that can hold the pain and the struggle of someone else. And that's hard to do when you yourself are also in pain and struggling. It Uh is not common that as a therapist, you are experiencing the exact same thing as your clients. Uh, You know, the best... Uh, the closest thing that I've experienced to being a therapist during this pandemic was when I was a therapist and deployed in Afghanistan. Because I was on deployment, they were on deployment, we had a lot of similar experiences. The big difference is, I knew when I was leaving Afghanistan, there was an end date. None of us know when we're leaving the global pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can see how that's an issue. Yeah. So, Dr. Liz, I have a really weird question for you. So, being the area you're in, do you ever get approached by, like, Proud Boys for therapy? You know, I don't, uh, because I think all of the stuff that I write and like, if they go to my website, if they read my profile on any of the therapist sites that I'm on, it's pretty clear that I'm super fucking liberal. So they're not really drawn to me. Uh, I get some folks who are veterans, but for the majority of folks who see my stuff, like I explicitly call out using social justice frameworks in my therapy in everywhere that I write about it. So I don't tend to get proud boy types. Yeah, they don't really want those problems. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I imagine the veterans that see you are more along the lines of like me. Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of queer veterans, trans veterans, veterans who are in sex positive communities in other ways, and who also want someone who understands their history of service. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So I can relate to this as just a civilian who when looking for therapy, and I would say for me, now it's a little different, because I know therapists, and I know what to look for. And I have uh, good references if you know, I need to say, hey, I need to find a therapist, can somebody help me? But you know, back when I was more of a civilian, I was scared of therapy, because I knew that, or I was pretty certain that they wouldn't understand, like, oh, if I'm polyamorous, or if I'm kinky, that suddenly, that is the reason why I'm fucked up, as opposed to, I just happen to be poly and kinky and fucked up, and they all exist separately. Uh, (laughs) So what are some of the reasons, and I don't know if Kevin, if you've gone through this as a civilian looking for a therapist, what are some of the reasons people who are sex positive or in alt sexualities or alt relationship models are scared to seek out a therapist. I mean, you you kind of just called it there, where uh, whenever you're in any kind of uh, alt lifestyle, people just assume that's the problem. Our culture, our viewpoints are so mononormative. They're so heteronormative. Uh, they're so cisgender normative that like that's just anything outside of that is seen as the immediate source. And a lot of times, uh, service providers won't look past that even when you say that. Um, forever ago my wife and i went to um we had went to couples therapy we were going through a rough patch goodness i can't even remember how long ago this was maybe 
15 years ago. And mm-hmm. while we were sort of newly into our non-monogamous journey, the very first thing the therapist said to us was, why don't you just knock that off? Why don't you just, you know, treat the other people in your life as disposable? Get rid of them Ugh. and then and then Ooh. we can figure out what the, uh, you know, that, that'll be our, that's basically step one in the problem solving. And at the time, we didn't have those kind of people in our lives that were, that were sort of key. So right. We didn't really call it what it was back then. But like, if somebody said that to me today, the people in my life are so important. They're so integral to my life, to my experience that the idea of treating them as disposable is completely off the board. So, right. you know, it's, uh, but meanwhile, the, 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 the service provider doesn't know that, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think a big issue here is training. You know, the, when I went through graduate school to get my doctorate of psychology, my education in human sexuality was a one weekend course. Ugh. We had a total of 12, maybe 16 hours of training on human sexuality in its entirety. Wow. Yeah. And that's everything. And we talked a little bit about kink and non-monogamy, largely because I brought it up as someone who was in the class who was kinky and had a history of being non-monogamous. Right. It is not something that folks learn. You know, I've presented at the, the ASECT conference, the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And I've presented there talking about non-monogamy and talking about being a non-monogamist therapist. And people at that conference, which is for sex educators and sex therapists, there are therapists there who are sex therapists who think that non-monogamy is not okay. (laughs) These are certified sex therapists, right? So the problem is huge. The problem is enormous. There are so few therapists who are competent at the very baseline of working with non-monogamous folks, let alone affirming and informed about it. Yes. Uh, a, yeah. A big reason that I got into private practice, in fact, the primary reason, is when I was stationed in Savannah, Georgia, uh, my then partner and I were having problems. We wanted to find a couples therapist. And I called a whole bunch of therapists. And all of them either said, uh, what's polyamory? Or they said, polyamory, what's that? Yeah, sure, I can work with that. Which is not particularly reassuring. <laughs> right. Because if, if they don't already know what it is, I'm either going to have to educate them or work with them being super biased and shitty to me toward about it. So I opened my private practice to be able to see folks in the area who needed a therapist that was kink and non-monogamy affirming. And yes. most of my clients when I lived in Georgia came to me because they'd had other therapists who made their non-monogamy or made their kink the problem. Right, right. And you know, it, it, you you bring up a point that I'm seeing a bit more now. It's like, now we're in the year 2021, uh, polyamory, non-monogamy, kink, whatever it is, even just being queer is becoming uh, more mainstream. So I'm seeing more therapists who are like, oh, yeah, I'm queer friendly, or oh, yeah, I'm kink friendly, because, you know, everybody wants to think that they're accepting of everyone. But then when you really dig down to the detail, they really have no no life experience, no training, no anything, but they present themselves as, oh, yes, I'm, I'm queer friendly, I'm, I'm kink friendly. So how do we, you know, I guess it's a two part question. One, as consumers, the people looking for the therapy, how do we differentiate between someone who's like, well, of course, if you're queer, you can see me, I'm queer friendly, but really doesn't know what they're talking about, versus someone who has the proper training. And then as as a, a provider, as a therapist, how do you make sure that you really do know what you're talking about besides, you know, the 10 hours of human sexuality you had in school? I feel like the answer is the same for both of those. Yeah. And that 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 goes into training and that's uh, you know, that's what we're that's what we're offering. That's what we're talking about. We're yeah. in the in the same way as you described. Like a friend of mine had gone to a couple's therapist that was having some problems with a spouse and this therapist said I'm I'm polyamory friendly. You can come see me. I've got it covered. And will your third be joining us? And and this was not their polyamory at all. But this is you know, but just the assumption that this was some some matter of a closed triad because that's sort of the the most representative thing. That's the thing that that sees the most amount of representation. You know, just that sort of thing 
it became an immediate turnoff and made an immediate slant of the of that kind of engagement. But yeah, wow. like Dr. Liz and I, we've been we've been talking about it. We've been talking about the kind of um, therapy people receive, the kind of therapy that we've received, and we wanted to do something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know, as a consumer. Asking open-ended questions can be really useful. So asking your potential therapist things like, what is your experience working with non-monogamous folks? Mm -hmm. How do you understand non-monogamy? What kind of training or self-work have you done around unpacking mononormativity? If you ask that question, that'll tell you a whole lot about a therapist. Because if they're like, mononorma what? They're not Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) Um, You know, Kevin and I, we we really wanted to create a set of trainings for coaches, therapists, other professionals who work with non-monogamous folks that focuses less on kind of like terminology and poly 101 stuff. So mm-hmm. less like, what is polyamory versus swinging? And focused a lot more on helping these providers, these caregivers, these helping professionals unpack the stuff that they've learned from our culture that they can very easily bring into their work with their clients in a way that is harmful. You know, Mm. suggestions about, well, why don't you just dump your other people? That's mononormativity. That's the thing that says that you have one relationship that actually means something and everything else is disposable. Mononormativity is what tells us that if there's problems, you should just shut it down and go back to monogamy because obviously monogamy is easier. Mm-hmm. Mononormativity is what tells us that you get to have very strict hierarchies and your partner should be able to veto and should be able to dictate what you can do with a the partner. These different structures that are set up that teach us about who gets to have full rights and autonomy in a relationship are problems. And we all need to work at unpacking and unlearning those so that we can operate with our clients in a way that is more empowering that helps center their own autonomy and decision making rather than placing our beliefs on them. Ooh, yeah. So I, I'm just going to summarize. So for those who aren't familiar with you, you both offered a course for, uh, I don't know, civilians for, you know, your average folks called Unfuck Your Polyamory. And yes. now you are offering a course. This is Unfuck Your Polyamory Pro for therapists and and healthcare providers and whatnot. So it sounds almost like this training, you know, as you said, it's not like here are the definitions of blah, 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 blah. It's almost like, I don't know, therapy for the therapist to unfuck their own thoughts about what polyamory is. Am I summarizing that right? Yeah, they're mononormative viewpoints, if if that could be, if we could be so bold as to say that. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that you know, as, as a therapist who does a lot of trainings, right? There are different kinds of trainings that you go into as a therapist. And I think when we go into our trainings, there are ones that are very focused on like tactics and techniques. And then there are ones that are about things like ethics or working with diverse populations. And so much of that is about understanding who you are and what is built into your system as a person within this culture so that mm-hmm. you can work at not putting that onto other people. Being a therapist is this very delicate balance of those two things, of knowing the therapeutic interventions you can use that'll help move people towards whatever they're working on, and also being able to process enough of your own shit that it doesn't take over your session with them. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to a lot of the stuff that I've seen about helping people learn about non-monogamy, most of the trainings that I've seen out there have a lot more focus on that kind of lexicon and uh, like give you the very basics of what this is and a lot less on that deeper work of just knowing what polyamory is doesn't help you be more effective with polyamorous people. Because if you're still coming at it from that same mindset, you're not going to be able to be effective with them. The same way that if you haven't done anti-racism work and you're a white therapist working with a black client, it's really easy for you to perpetuate those harmful systems of oppression in your sessions. Mm -hmm. You have to be continually doing your own work so that you're not bringing your stuff into a place where it can hurt your client. Right. Yeah. And you know, you know, something I was just thinking is that this is not only useful for therapists, 
I think there's a lot of other medical providers that this could be incredibly useful to, like ER nurses, like general practitioners, gynecologists, x-ray techs. Oh, yes. Uh, Let me tell you about the last time I went to the – so I am on Truvada for PrEP, Mm pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV. Not that I needed a ton these days because it's not like I'm really having much sex. But uh, (laughs) I went in for my appointment in the Infectious Disease Clinic, which is some of the people who know the most about things like STI and sex. And the person asked me if I have sex with men, women, or both. I said, I have sex with people of all genders. And they said, okay, the last person you had sex with, was it a man or a woman? And I'm like, it was a person with a penis. (laughs) Because like the questions that they're trying to get at are about risk level, which have a lot less to do with someone's gender and a lot more to do with fluid exposure, how genitals were interacting, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So asking me if it was a man, if it was a trans man, doesn't tell you the information you're asking. And I educated that doctor during that appointment about how to ask those questions in a more effective and gender-affirming manner. And that was simple stuff in a clinic with some of the best-trained folks. It is rough out there. Uh, You know, therapists, we get our, like, one weekend of training during grad school. Medical providers, often it's pretty much the same. They get, like, a few hours of training on sexuality and it's basically what are STIs? How do you test for them? Maybe a little bit more. I think that people in all the variety of medical fields could benefit from more understanding about non-monogamy because you're going to have non-monogamous clients. And if your clients or your, your patients don't feel like they can be honest with you about being non-monogamous, you're not going to be able to help them in ways that they need. Right. I have a lot of friends who are married. And when they go to their primary care doctor and ask for STI testing, their doctor usually gives them shit because they're married. Why do they need STI testing? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've had the same thing. And, and you know, one instance that pops out at me, and I, I am not saying this to knock Planned Parenthood, because I love Planned Parenthood. I love everything they, they do. And this was just that one provider that happened to be at the one place that I really thought all of their providers would be up on, you know, and it was the same sort of thing. Like, okay, so at the time we weren't married, but it's like, do you have a committed partner? Yes. Okay, then so then why do you need STI tests? Because we're non monogamous. But you're with a committed partner. Yeah. So (laughs) then you don't need an STI test. Well, yeah, I do because I sleep with other people. They're like, but how can you sleep with other people if you're with a committed partner? And it was like the three stooges going around, you know, it was like, who's on first? I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just so, you know, that just really showed me if it could happen at the one place that I fucking love that, you know, I donate money to. And I'm like, that's one of the most progressive healthcare providers that I know if it could happen there. Yeah. Where else is it happening? And how often is this happening? Yeah. Too often. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the training that you're doing, like, is it only designed for therapists? Is it for, you know, any healthcare provider? Is it for anyone? Like, if I'm just like, hey, I want to learn more about polyamory for whatever reason, whether it's professional or personal, is that training open to everyone or is it for a specific set of people? Well, it it is open. It is open to anyone, and you get to decide, you know, how um, how you'd like to take that training. Whether that's um, doing our six week webinar that, as you said, is for civilians, or doing the pro course for continuing ed units, or for you know, without continuing ed units, you get to make that decision on your own. We're not going to gatekeep, right? Yeah, right. and and our pro course is going to be eventually a full certification program. So right now. We've just recently opened sales on our first weekend intensive, which is about autonomy and power dynamics. But we're also going to have units on like a polyamory 101, on uh, boundaries, communication, on uh, basically the different facets of what it is to be non-monogamous. And so if there's ones that apply more to the way that you interact with your clients or your patients, you could focus more on that intensive. Or if you want to be more well-rounded in the way you interact with non-monogamous folks, you could take all of those modules and end up certified in unfucking your own and other people's polyamory. Ooh, I love that. Exactly. And also as part of, as, as part of our not gatekeeping, something we recognize is there's often, um, 
there's often a break in terms of of resources, especially when it comes to marginalized folks. Mm-hmm. So we're off, we're also offering a pay what you can model. Uh, we've got uh, what is it, ten slots open for a pay, mm-hmm. a pay what you can model for uh for Black and Indigenous uh, people of color. So that's also going to be and also disabled folks and also disabled folks. Yes, that's very cool. That is very, very cool. So, I mean, theoretically, in the future, someone could, you know, whether it's a patient asking or a healthcare provider advertising, like I am certified in would it be certified in unfuck your polyamory, whatever it's going to be called, like this, this will actually be. Uh, I don't know, an accolade or something that they can refer to. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. That's very cool. And being able to show off a certification is a lot better than just being able to say, oh, yeah, everybody's welcome. I, I know what polyamory is. I saw three episodes of Sister Wives. I'm fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in particular, like our certification is as we're designing it, it's really designed to be something that has a lot of interaction between the different people taking the course, as well as uh, them with us, so that it's not something you can just like, kind of like sit through and have on your screen while you do other stuff. It's really designed to help people engage and make sure that they're really absorbing this material and internalizing it. Mm -hmm. So that if someone is marked as certified by us, we have a higher degree of trust in knowing that they're going to interact with folks in a way that feels good for us and feels like it it makes sense from how we think about things. Yeah, yeah. That is amazing. Awesome. So, okay, the way things are now, you know, before we, we can get a, a bunch of folks certified so it's, you know, easily recognizable or e- easy to find someone who is certified, um, there are there aren't really any at least as far as I know, I'm not the mental health professional. So y'all correct me if I'm speaking incorrectly. But you know, I hear therapists say, Oh, I am kink friendly, or I and usually they tend to lump polyamory into kink, you know, they just which that's a whole nother is a whole other thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, ah, it upsets, it upsets both polyamorists and kinksters. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So really we all know that polyamory is an orientation that belongs on the LGBTQ acronym. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, like, I think for some people it's an orientation. I think for others it's no, not. Defi- and yeah. I think it doesn't need queerness umbrella inclusion. Right. I agree. On I mean, I get why people argue it, but I don't think so. Yes. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's kind of a mess. There's a lot, but it's combination shampoo conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in one axe body wash shampoo conditioner of, of oh, uh, no. all no oh, sexuality. I can smell it. I can smell it. <laughs> um, but like, I will hear some people say, you know, I'm I'm a kink friendly, or and then I I want to say it was the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, had like a huge print up of like they have a huge uh, list. Yeah, of like the different classifications of like, you know, you're kink aware or you're kink friendly. And I want to say the one that like really knows is like kink knowledgeable or something. But are those official titles? Like, can we? I mean, the thing about language, right, is we're always making it. It's all made up. So if enough people start using it, it might become official. I think that that language is not particularly well-known or well-used. I think that the, like, if you're looking for someone, the best places to start are the databases that are specific to folks who specialize and work with those issues. So the Kink Aware Professionals list through the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, uh, the Poly Friendly list at polyfriendly.org. Uh, Tristan Terramino has the open list. Uh, these days, even Psychology Today, the therapist listings on Psychology Today have an option that therapists can select that they work with non-monogamous folks. Oh. The thing is, I would look at like polyfriendly or the open list first and then move on to something like Psychology Today because tons of people are going to put up a Psychology Today profile and it's really easy for them to just click, yeah, of course, non-monogamy, sure, versus right. having to seek out these very specific resources that are only for these communities and opting into them. It's just a different level of involvement and a different level of research that would show that they're more likely to actually be 
active in working with those communities. Mm, yeah. So, okay, opinion time. Uh, do you think... Red. It, what? Red is my opinion. So, <laughs> no. no. Do you think it is possible for a, let's say, completely heterosexual, monogamous, like very heteronormative, traditional uh, therapist to really, truly, even if they've had all the certification and the schooling in the world, to really, truly understand what the life of somebody who is polyamorous, kinky, you know, whatever non-normative uh, is like. I wouldn't say that they'd be able to understand. Now, I, I wouldn't discount that person from being able to address or serve somebody who is, you know, sex positive, kinky, queer, polyamorous, what have you. But to say understand, that might be a bit much because, I mm -hmm. mean, you never understand anybody till, you, till, till you're in their shoes. True. Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids. Does that mean that I can't help clients who are having issues with their kids? Right. I I think that if you have personally been through a situation, it can be both a help and a hindrance to your work with folks. It can help in that you have more context for what that experience is like and what it is to be in that experience. It can be a hindrance in that it can start leading you to assume that their experience of that is the same as yours or their uh. beliefs or desires or what they want from that experience is the same as yours. It's right. always a big question in the realm, particularly for psychotherapy of like, do you have to have gone through a thing in order to be able to help people with it? And in general, the answer is no. And you have to do work to understand it. You know, the majority of therapists who work with veterans have not themselves served. That doesn't mean they can't be helpful. It means that their understanding of it is different than someone who has. Right. But, you know, even though I served and deployed to Afghanistan, my understanding of deployment and experience of deployment is totally different than someone who was a Marine out in the early days digging trenches to poop in. You know, I was on FOBs. I was mostly just in an office. It just happened to be in Afghanistan. So right. I think that it's less about have you had that exact experience and more about how have you worked at educating yourself? How are you leaving your the space for the client to explain what it is for them and to like join them in their experience of it? And mm -hmm. how are you helping them explore what they want and what's going to be best for them? Mm, yeah. Now, I know some therapists like like yourself, for for example, um, you very are very clear in your literature that you know you are queer and you talk about being polyamorous and you're very open. So if someone were looking for somebody who's like, I, I want to find a therapist who is, you know, at least somewhat in my same lifestyle and has firsthand experience, there are certain therapists you can find. But I, I don't know if there I know a lot. Yeah, I know there are a lot of therapists that may actually be kinky polyamorous whatever in their personal lives but it's not something that they divulge um yeah. and i don't know if there's like ethical issues with that being a therapist because i know that you know you have to be very careful about stuff but is it rare yeah to find a therapist who is open of like you know i'm lgbtq or i'm kinky or i'm whatever it is because the history of therapy is coming from a perspective of cis, straight, rich, white dudes who were highly privileged, mm -hmm. who were able to create this belief system that somehow a therapist could be a blank slate, that mm -hmm. you could somehow be completely uh, not at all yourself to be present for a client. And only mm -hmm. people in the positions of greatest privilege can ever have that imagining because they're the only people who get to live in the illusion that they're being seen as an individual and not as their assortment of characteristics. Mm. Um, and yet, most of us are still trained as therapists to reveal as little about ourselves as possible to the people who work with us. Right. And I think that in modern training, it comes from a mixture of that like historical rooting of the myth that you can be a blank slate, but also a desire to not take over the therapy with your own stuff. And I think the journey for a lot of therapists these days is figuring out how to acknowledge the realities of who you are. Uh, because it's going to be present in the room with your client without having who you are dominate the session mm. and dominate what happens in their work. Uh, 
I have clients who come to see me who have never read a single one of my posts or watched a single one of my videos, and they don't want to, and that's great. And I have clients who love watching my stuff and love reading my stuff, and that works for them. And most of the way that I interact with that is letting clients make their own decisions about what feels good for them because they're the experts of their own experience. Uh Some therapists strongly believe that anything about your humanness should be completely kept from your clients at all ever. There are some therapists who advocate preemptively blocking literally every client you ever have on every social media to make sure that they can't find your stuff or having all of your stuff super locked down or using aliases. And The reality is living the way that I do and talking about my life as openly as I do could realistically in the future lose me a psychology license somewhere. You know, there are people in in other states who have lost their licenses just for being polyamorous, not even for being super openly polyamorous. There are therapists who have lost their licenses for being kinky because most states have very vague morality clauses that are up to the moral standards of whomever happens to be on the board. And the kinds of folks who tend to sit on those kinds of boards tend to be people who are more conservative, have more conservative values, want to be in charge of who gets to do what. So it's a risk that I take. You know, I talk openly about going to play parties and sometimes my clients are also at those play parties and I play at those play parties and I have discussions with all of my clients about how do we handle it when we run into each other at a play party. Mm. And that could easily lose me a license. It's something that I know and that I've accepted and that I just kind of am working through as I go. Some mornings you wake up feeling ready to pull the covers back over your head and just go back to sleep. No judgment, of course. I've been there. But let's make having the most comfortable sheets the reason why. You don't love your sheets? Well, Brooklinen has you covered. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. When they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They're also so confident you will love their products, they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And a couple of those five-star reviews are from Ken and me because we love our buttery smooth Brooklinen bedding. And we want you to love it too. Go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. Plus, you also get free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com with the promo code SUNNY to get 25% off when you spend $100 or more and free shipping. Brooklinen.com, promo code SUNNY. We are in the thick of winter and a storm is brewing. It looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. The Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer is the best hygiene tool. Because of the ceramic blade and advanced skin safe technology, snags on your snowballs will be reduced. The trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower or jacuzzi. Manscaped's Performance Package is the best buy of 2021. The Performance Package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag. The bundle also comes with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Now, the Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant that'll make your balls smell nice and feel like your testes are walking in a winter wonderland. And the Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that'll make your balls look up at you and say, thanks. They also have a ton of other amazing hygiene products on their websites, from disposable mats for your pubes to foot deodorant. 
And now you can get 20% off and free shipping on everything at manscaped.com. Just use the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y. That's 20% off and free shipping at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com with the code SUNNY. Yeah, that that's it's a delicate dance, you know, and I can I can see why even if a lot of therapists would want to talk more openly about their personal lives, why they would be afraid to, you know, especially depending like you said the state that they live in and you know how how conservative the thoughts are there. So, yeah. huh. Like I've got yeah. friends and partners who 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 deliberately, you know, um, mask aspects of themselves for that same reason where like i've got a partner who's queer and polyamorous and has queer and polyamorous clients but never never divulges that like i've actually had therapists uh for myself who who were queer and never divulged that and then all of a sudden i see them on my my facebook people you may know list you know snuggling up to a a same-sex partner and it's like okay i kind of got that impression they never said anything but you know not that it matters because they offered me a great service regardless yeah. And I think this is good for people to know who are, uh, you know, potential patients, clients, consumers, that if they are out there looking for a therapist who is more the outspoken, like, hey, I'm part of this community, just because they're not finding that kind of therapist doesn't necessarily mean the therapists they are finding aren't a part of those communities. So that's good yeah. to know. Yeah. Sonny, have I ever told you that I got an Article 15 and two weeks in military jail for being polyamorous? Are you serious? Hey, I'm dead serious. That makes sense, actually. Because which one art- of the girls a- was the base commander's daughter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. That'll get you spanked real quick. They oh, it did. It did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah I mean, goodness. in the military under the UCMJ, infidelity is punishable by discharge or jail time. So... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they were not very happy with that. So, Dr. Liz, when you were just talking a few minutes ago, you mentioned about how, uh, you know, the roots of uh, psychotherapy is, you know, like white male dominated. And, you know, I would say now I I see, you know, just my anecdotally, I see a lot of women Mm-hmm. tending to dominate the industry now but it still is very motherfucking white very yes. very very white yes. um and i've i've seen also in polyamory circles that i'm in polyamory circles are very 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 white um so it's not a leap to think that even if there are some therapists that are familiar with uh the polyamorous lifestyle that they may be looking at it through that very very white lens So talk to me about that. Like what type of training is required, you know, whether it's in general or in your program to, you know, not just see through that one lens? Yeah, I mean, so in my grad program, every class was required to incorporate diversity and multicultural stuff in some kind of way. And that usually meant that we had to like, make a comment or read a paper about how stuff might be different for people from different racial or ethnic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was okay. My training was not great on that uh, in terms of my school. One of my practicum sites was really excellent about it and had a strong focus on that. And we had a whole weekend retreat that we focused particularly on like racial issues and issues of being from different racial backgrounds than your clients and like how privilege and oppression show up in the the therapy room. Mm -hmm. Um, it is not something that a lot of therapists are forced to contend with, particularly. Like, I think my class on, like, multicultural therapy focused primarily on, like, stereotypes of what different groups might be or how they might behave, mm-hmm. rather than really unpacking white privilege and what that looks like and how white fragility can show up in the therapy room. Mm-hmm. There are these days more and more therapists who are not white, and... 
it's hard because it's expensive and there's a whole lot of gatekeeping on a whole lot of levels to get there. Right. To be a psychologist, which I am, you have to get your bachelor's degree and then you have to get into a doctoral program. Uh, if you're doing the route that I did through a professional school, you're paying a whole fuck ton of money. Like there were people in my grad program who had $250,000 of student loans. Oh, God. If you go the traditional university route, the higher end university schools that'll give you like your living stipend and comp your classes a lot of them have acceptance rates below 10%. So it's hard to get into this field if you don't already have a fair amount of privilege and resources behind you. Mm -hmm. And again, thankfully, there are more and more groups that are working on helping to support people who are particularly Black folks or other Indigenous or people of color into getting into therapy fields. And it's hard. And it's hard to find those folks. And I think... Unfortunately, for a lot of white therapists, there's a lot of a desire to like not be oppressive in their whiteness in the therapy room, but not necessarily a lot of good training or work on how to be better about that in practical yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin, you had said that you know, you had seen a couple's therapist with your wife. And, you know, I'm just going to assume you've had other experiences with therapists. How big of an issue is that, you know, whether it's addressing the polyamorous aspect of your life, or just the aspect in general, did you run into a lot of white therapists who kind of quite didn't get it? Or do you seek out therapists of color? Um, the I, I've only I've only been to a couple's therapy um, twice, really. And uh -huh. oh, I mean, two in, uh, not two instances but two sort of um experiences with like therapists and in the first in the first case like i said it was uh it was it was a uh, a therapist was a white man and the first thing he suggested was to knock off the non-monogamy and that wasn't as chilling then as it would be now just based on where we were in our respective journeys right whereas the second time we saw a couples therapist was a lot more recently. And mm. knowing how ingrained our, um, our non-monogamy was and knowing like, uh, our, sort of our focus on identity politics, our focus on wanting to, uh, speak with someone who was, uh, queer friendly or queer, uh, and a lot more social justice and identity politics knowledgeable, we mm -hmm. specifically sought out therapist mm. for that uh, it, for that reason like we actually went to the um uh, the list for watching women of health or uh, what is it uh women of women of color sexual health network we yeah we yeah. went to their list and we went through when we found um local therapists who were who were black who were queer who were polyamorous who were kinky or like some close enough approximation of and then we uh found a service provider from those distinctions like we had to filter it down and we ended up finding somebody that was actually really awesome and fit a lot of you know and checked a lot of those boxes but like not everybody's going to be able to do that and not everybody's yeah. going to be able to find somebody especially as dr Liz was saying in a time that like like right now when um everybody's overbooked everybody's overtaxed and even even amongst those people, finding people who were polyamorous was, who were polyamorous or polyamory knowledgeable, that part was really difficult. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's, that's sort of the thing that we're, that we're looking to address because, um, connecting to something that was, that was said earlier. The first time I went to a sex ed conference, the first time I was speaking at a sex ed conference and actually, uh, all of you were there, Sunny, Dr. Liz, and Ken. Uh, which one? Um, Cat Catalyst Con. Cat okay. Oh Catalyst yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. when we yeah. met you. I think for the oh, first time in that Chicago. That was that year with the play party. Oh yeah, yeah, goodness. The boardroom play yeah. party. Um, yeah. I, I, it was the second time. It was the first time I met Dr. Liz. It was the second time I met Sunny and Ken. I had met them. I had met you both at Playground uh, earlier. Oh shit! Yeah. Like the the year previous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But oh my goodness. It was one of the first places I had ever spoken. And when they were giving out the hashtags, mine was hashtag Secon Poly. And I remember being shocked thinking, how can I get Secon Poly when there's probably so many polyamory uh, workshops on display here? And no, mine was the one. Mine was the only one. Wow. Polyamory. And I was shocked by that. 
at a sex positive conference. I mean, granted, yeah. this is probably, you know, a number of years ago in the teens, way back in the teens. <laughs> uh, but wow. Yeah. Wow. And it was, yeah. it, it was the first time, but it wasn't the last time. So, you know, yeah. like, like you said, even in sex positive spaces, even in kink friendly spaces, sometimes polyamory falls by the wayside. And if you have polyamorous clients, which, you know, a lot of people would or should or can have, that's, you mm-hmm. know, that's a good tool to have in your tool belt. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, listening to you talk, though, makes me just think about how much of a catch-22 this is, because, you know, all of us sitting here, you know, Dr. Liz, you are a therapist, and the rest of us, yes, we're not therapists, but we know what resources to go to. We know what's out there. If we don't have the answer, we know who exactly to go to to get the answer. And also, yeah. because we are, you know, in this industry where we are so used to being outspoken and advocating to ourselves for ourselves, that even if we were to find ourselves in a room with a therapist who was very sex negative, I'm very confident that all of us could open our mouths and be like, uh, look, this isn't going to work out or, hey, you're not going to talk to me that way or lay down some education. Not that as patients, we should ever have to do that, but we would we would we would be like, no, this is bullshit. And we'd recognize it right then. The average person doesn't have the resources to find They don't know where to begin. Yeah. And secondly, even, you know, that aside, if they're in a room with someone who's laying down some bullshit, like, well, you just need to forget your third or whatever, and they don't have the life experience or the confidence or the knowledge or whatever it is to be like, no, this is bullshit. Then, you know, how do they add, how do they even realize maybe something's not right or something's not a good fit? What I want to know is how can people afford to be monogamous in this financial environment? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Well, and I think the one thing I want to say is that that lack of availability of resources, that difficulty that people are going to have in finding people like this, it's by design. Like the reason that you don't know all of these names and where to find this stuff is because we can't advertise anywhere because of laws like SESTA and FOSTA. We keep getting kicked off of platforms because we talk about sex. So you know, the way that the laws are structured, particularly in the States right now, are to make it as hard as possible for people to be open about where to find those kinds of resources. So you're struggling because the system wants you to, because the system wants anybody stepping outside of the norms to have to fight extra super hard to do it. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, you know, doc, Dr. Liz is a, a full on, full ass doctor. I'm a guy who wrote a, uh, a race and polyamory book and people reach an award winning race and polyamory book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and, but like, I'm super accessible on social media and people reach out to me all the time saying like, you know, questions that have nothing to do with love's not colorblind. They just know that I'm a polyamorous black guy on the internet and people will reach out to me all the time and say like, Hey, I'm from Oklahoma. Can you help me out? Can you help me with this thing? I don't know who to talk to. I don't know how to, you know, I don't know where to get um, my needs met. And all of a sudden I'm giving people, you know, um, what little bits of advice I can. And sometimes it's, sometimes it, I can point them to a place. Sometimes I can say, well, I know somebody in Texas. I know someone in California. I know somebody in Portland. Let me point you in their direction. This is a service provider. You pay them money and they can give you service. But you know, but those are bold people reaching out to some random internet yeah. guy to ask for yeah. help. You know, if you're not, if you're, if you don't have a random internet guy to reach out to, you're shit out of luck. And that, you know, we got to change that. We got to make changes around that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm going to refer American fuckers back to episode 151, where we talked all about the, the censorship and, you know, why this is happening. And it's, and i wish i had an answer you know i i guess my little part of the answer is you know things like this podcast like just talk about it like whether (laughs) is it the whisper network of where to find good resources and maybe you know maybe that's what we have but oh we need to change so much shit we and and you're doing your part too by having this you know program for professionals 
Yeah. I mean, one of our big goals with this is to make it easier to find people who are good to work with by just making sure that there are more of them. (laughs) You know, I think that a lot of professionals who end up saying that problematic shit, they're not doing it because they want to be problematic. They're doing it because nobody's ever told them that it is problematic or because they've never had to actually unpack like why they believe the answer is to shut down your relationship. Mm-hmm. If we can help more and more providers get trained up and be aware of this and be knowledgeable about this and be affirming about people who do stuff differently than they might do in their own personal lives, then it'll be much easier for people to find folks who are on their page. Right. And I think again, like if that's the one thing that this program can do is really help increase the availability of folks who are going to be affirming for people who are non-monogamous, that is an amazing thing to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you have, uh, whether it's any resources yourselves or any resources that maybe you can direct people to who are looking for a therapist that have like, here's some, you know, sample questions you need to ask your therapist if you are looking for someone who knows about polyamory. Um, are there any resources like that that people can reference? I don't know of one myself. It's a great thing that I could create someday when I have energy. Uh, <laughs> do you know of anything? Uh, off top, no. But I mean, if just basic questions, uh, basic questions come to mind like, oh, you're polyamory friendly? What do you know about polyamory? Something. Or as- what does that mean to you? Yeah. I think like. Making it as open-ended as possible gives them the most opportunity to show how much or how little they know. Mm, yeah. And and so for people, let's say these are people new to therapy. They've never gone to therapy before and things are a little weird now because we're doing all this shit online and yada, yada. Um, is it customary to be able to call up a therapist and be like, can I have 10 minutes with you to ask questions? Like, is that something you yeah. can do? Okay. Yeah, so most therapists will offer... Uh, a free consultation call of some sort. So like I offer a free 30 minute consultation call. A lot of therapists will offer anything from like 15 minutes to like a free practice session, just depending on how they do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's pretty standard because what we know from research is the number one predictor of success in therapy is the quality of the relationship between the therapist and the client. Uh. So finding someone who's the right fit for you is the most important priority. And you should always talk to a whole bunch of different folks to make sure you're finding the best fit. Ooh, um, amazing. Yeah. Again, I offer a free 30 minute. I don't know about other folks. Most folks I see offer a free 15 minute to 30 minute consultation chat, mm-hmm. which is about seeing is this the right fit are you working with stuff that uh, we want to work with? Uh, does the therapist have availability at whatever price point you can pay or what time you can be seen uh, just to make sure that everybody's going to work out well together? Okay. And now for um, location, because now we're on Zoom and, you know, people think, well, I can talk to therapists anywhere in the world. Not necessarily. Yeah. Do people have to find people who are licensed in their state? How does that work? It depends state by state. So every state has completely different laws about therapy, which makes it all really complicated and messy. Uh, in general, I would say that your safest bet is to find someone who is licensed in the state that you live in. Uh-huh. Um, I know for me, my license in California mandates that I can only see clients for therapy who live in a state in which I am licensed. Okay. So I'm currently licensed in both California and Oregon, so I can get, see clients who live in either of those states people who live in other states, I can't see them for therapy. Um, Some states don't have those kinds of laws. And for you as a consumer to try to figure figure it out would be really hard. Like I, as a professional with a doctorate, struggle to figure out these laws all of the time. (laughs) Um, And the thing about licensing is that licensing... Look, licensing should be easy and there should be a lot more reciprocity between states, but it can cost you easily $1,500 to $2,000 to get a license in a new state. And you usually have to take at least one exam for that state that is about their state's local laws and ethics, which are 99% the same as every other state you've ever been in. But they make you take it. Some states still require an oral exam where you have to go in and have them ask you questions. Uh, so it's all real messy. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that oh, things don't make sense. They really don't. Um, so wrapping up, like what, what did we forget? Or what do you want to leave listeners with 
as they are either a if they are people looking for therapists or b uh, mental health care providers themselves that want to be better therapists. I think one of the most important things if you're looking at therapists is to remember that the therapist works for you. And I, I feel like that sounds really simple, but I run into people all the time, you know, but not just like, uh, strangers, but also like friends and family who say, well, my therapist said this and I don't really, I'm not really agree with it. I don't really like this trait. I don't like really like this treatment. I don't really like this plan, but I don't know what to do. And I have to say, like, you know that you pay them, right? You know that they work for you. <laughs> you know you're, you know, they're supposed to serve your needs. Maybe they're going to give you insight on things that you don't understand. But if it's something you perfectly well do understand and they're telling you something that isn't true, you can, you know, you can push back against that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, agreeing with Kevin, your therapist should be able to admit when they don't know stuff. They should be able to admit when they mess up. And you are fully empowered at all times to let your therapist know if something isn't working for you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to keep seeing a therapist who's not working for you. You can just leave. You don't even have to like a lot of us therapists. We prefer to have like a breakup session where we can kind of see, you know, do you have the resources you need to move forward? You know, something to kind of close it neatly, but you don't actually owe your therapist anything. If that therapist isn't working for you, if you need to move on to someone else, you are welcome to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is good to keep in mind. Because I know a lot of people, you know, like there's guilt, like, oh, I'm breaking up my my therapist, they're gonna feel bad. I don't want to make them feel bad. You know, and it's like, no, it's all about you. That's who that's who counts. Um, so thank you. I want to say that, uh, you know, in our show notes, we, we touched on a few things like, you know, the kink aware professionals list and different things that we mentioned over the course of this conversation. All of those links will be in the show notes, as well as both of your social media. And where do we find out more about Unfuck Your Polyamory? You go right to unfuckyourpolyamory.com. That's easy. That is easy. It's so easy now. Yeah, right? we even right? have a. We even have our own snazzy LLC now for Kevin and I. Ooh, yes. y'all are so fancy. Damn, damn. <laughs> and so, can you have the word "fucking" an LLC, or you have a different LLC? We did UYP LLC. You can now uh, have fucking an LLC. They recently changed that legislation. Really? That you can have curse words in an LLC. But that would have made the name really, really long. So we just did the abbreviation. Oh, yeah. that's smart. But you're gonna- Now I want a new LLC with a swear word. You can do it. If you believe it, you can achieve it. <laughs> nice. I'm going to be like fucking A LLC. Yeah. But you're, <laughs> you're going to have what's it called there? The uh, you've got both uh, the civilian class and the professional class. Both of those are mm-hmm. both of those are up. Both of those are going to be fantastic. All oh, the the civilian class is already fantastic. The pro class is going to be just the same. Oh, yeah, awesome! They're both on the website. All the information you could want is up there. Uh, and if you have questions, you can reach out to us as well. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you both. As always, it's so awesome to speak to both of you. We love you both. And uh, until next time, bye. 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 Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.